Let's pray and ask for the help of the Spirit. Lord, we've just heard this prayer. It's wonderful that John was able to capture the way that Jesus spoke to you. I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict us. Some of us here, starting with me, don't pray a lot. We need to be convicted of why that is and convinced that talking to you right now matters. Lord, some of us are struggling. Remind us of the good news that was proclaimed last week. You've overcome the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, please be seated. If you'll allow me to ask you a question, what's something you want so bad that you'd beg for it? Remember a couple of months ago, I started to get a weird pain like in my upper right stomach and I work on a surgical floor and I was like, oh Lord, not my gallbladder. Please, I, I do not want my gallbladder giving me problems because I love cheeseburgers. Please, For you, it's probably a pain or a personal issue, something with work. I'm just asking you this, if you'll allow me. What's something that you want so bad You'd beg for it. What we beg for reveals our deepest desires. John's going to choose a word for prayer. It's so, prayer is so familiar. There's not a person here that doesn't know we should pray. But he chooses a word in that culture, which was not exactly, let's just pray. It was this word, the word erotao. It means that Jesus, over and over with his father, asked with an urgency. Now, I don't want you to think that Jesus was tense because he just said, hey, cheer up, everybody. I've overcome the world. There's a difference between being tense, and those people are hard to be around, or being near someone who's intense. He is aiming at his father who he loves, and this word is so wonderful. And Christians over the years, for 2,000 years, look it up and read all the old pastors. They called this John 17 section the high priestly prayer. What's that all about? Well, I don't know if you remember in the book of Leviticus, because many of us don't even read through that book, but in chapter 16, the high priest Aaron does something very interesting. See, once a year... The whole sinful group of Israelites could not have a relationship with God unless something happened that involved glory, and it was really gory. The high priest would basically approach God, and here's what he'd do. Leviticus 16, 16, Aaron the high priest would offer a bull as a sin offering, first for himself. Secondly, he would make atonement for himself and his own family. But lastly, he'd kill a goat, and that sin offering would extend out to over a million, some people think when you add the kids and everybody, two million Israelites. Going into the glory of the temple with the gory blood of a substitute sacrifice so the high priestly prayer, what's that have to do with Jesus? Jesus does the same thing. I don't know if you caught it when Scott read. He prays for himself. 
He prays for his disciples, his own family. And then he's going to pray for anybody that believes. Here's what's crazy. Some of you have believed in Jesus. This day in history, he prayed for you. That's why they call it the high priestly prayer. Why does this matter? Because some of you are like, thanks for the history lesson, Howard. But why does this matter for me? Here's the cash value to this whole thing. Your prayer matters. Your prayer life with God, it matters more than you know. Why? We live in America. We are all about action. We are very bad at giving attention to the living God. We were made for this. Why pray? I mean, I know often many of us with our family and with our our life, it's like getting on a bicycle. If I don't keep pedaling in action, it will fall over. I don't got time to pray. Jesus is going to die on a cross. He's going to be very active being the sacrifice for us, but he decides with his friends there to pay attention rather than to just be involved with action. Some of you are struggling in friendships. I would ask, are you paying attention to your friend? Some of you are struggling in your marriage. I would ask, are you paying attention? Some of you are struggling with relationships. And by the way, prayer is not like exercise. You can exercise alone. Prayer is choosing to put yourself in the presence of the living God. This really matters. So Jesus, in chapter 17, verse 13, he wants his disciples to hear him talking to his father, which is so cool, because we wouldn't even know this if verse 13 says, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus was a discipler. He wants us to learn his pattern. I would ask you, when's the last time you said, let me talk to God about just me and God? Let me pay attention to God about me and my fam, my church family. When's the last time you prayed for people that haven't yet believed? This is a good pattern. But Howard, I can't find time to pray. Look at your life, you're a pastor. I can't find time to pray. Let's watch and listen to Jesus because it's time to make time and take time to pray. If you really want to know a person, by the way, just listen to them pray. Some of you don't know Jesus very well. You're going to by the end of this good news. What's our title today? Jesus asks. It's the word ereteo. It's urgent. It's not tense. He's full of joy, but it's intense. He's going to pay attention. And what is he going to ask his father for three things? Glory. Secondly, his given ones. Those are his learners that are with him. And lastly, he's prayed for you. Some of you don't believe that. This whole, his eye is on the sparrow. Jesus, this night, prayed for you, Seth. You, Jonathan. You, it's unbelievable. I mean, I was saying, this is unbelievable. Jesus, you were thinking about me? Yes, Austin. Yes, Jared. Yes. So let's jump into this prayer. We're, we're, we're there with him. We're listening. Number one, he urgently asked his father for glory. Verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven 
And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Don't go so fast to miss his beautiful gesture. Did you see what he did there? He lifts up his eyes to the heavens. I want all of you just to practice this because I don't think we're very good at it. We pray like this. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with this. Here's how Jesus talks to dad. Father. Can can all of you just do that? It's uncomfortable. It's weird. But just look up. I know you're in a gym and it's kind of, you have to imagine that the heavenly realm exists. But he's looking up. Father. Now, what is in heaven? Heaven is the dimension where God's presence is and where his will is always done. Jesus is not like, oh, I'm going to go to the cross and it's the last couple of hours. Father. He's looking up. He's in a relationship. Uh, By the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, he's always doing this. Remember when he feeds the 5,000? He doesn't mean like, hey, guys, I can feed you. I'm God in the flesh. He lifts up and he looks to the heavens. My favorite gesture is when there was a guy who couldn't hear. And he walks over to the guy and he does all this weird stuff, spits on the ground. But he looks up and he goes, be opened. And the guy that couldn't hear started to hear. It's like, hey, Father, this guy's never been able to hear. Be opened. Do we talk to God with this urgency? This is what Jesus does. And it's not a gesture. It's a posture. He puts himself into the presence of God and says, I can see things, but the unseen is real. He asked for glory. It's used eight times in the prayer. This has come up as we've gone through this book. Glory. It means to expose and disclose the value of something. That sounds very abstract. Here's what glory is for you and I. You ever, it's, it's fireworks night. You're looking in the sky, and so far some of those fireworks have been pretty freaking cool. But you're waiting for the finale. Because you want the expense and the colors, and you're going, I wonder if it's really going to meet my expectations. But when all of a sudden in the sky, every color, every noise, you've had the moment, haven't you, of glory, where there's this exposure of beauty. Or maybe that's for some of you, that, I, Howard, I'm not catching on to glory. It's why we watch sports. It's why the bases are loaded and it's tied and the pitcher is just as good as the batter. And there's two outs and it's tied and everybody's on the edge of their seat going, oh, this is going to reveal and disclose. They're both incredible. What's good? We want that moment. Jesus says, Father, I am praying that my learners and those that would believe would have an experience of what we're up to that would be so much deeper than a firework that explodes or a game. He's asking with urgency, please reveal the glory. We're all hungry for glory. And what does he specifically say in verse 6? I have manifested your name. Now, Daryl worked hard on the names of everybody today because Jerry, nobody in here, is made in the image of God like you right? You're my Tito Jerry. By the way, if you are going to really recognize Jerry today as part of our church family, Tito is a term of respect, all right? A lot of you are not Filipino, 
but he's not part of your family. And it's Tita, Tita Luz. Nobody reflects the beauty of God like those names. And that's why Daryl took the time, even during the baptism, to say to these parents, did I get the middle names of these kids right? Our names are the personal combination of capacities that express us. He's saying, I've manifested your name, Father. And he addresses him, maybe you missed it. In his prayer, he says, you're a righteous father. Never called him that before, by the way, in the book of John. He says, you're holy father. Personal combination of capacities revealing this glory. And righteous is positive. It means you, you've never done anything wrong, God, the father. You've kept every single standard. And holy is kind of negative. You're free from any flaws. And it's kind of like these complementary characteristics, like a lock and a key. A lock is one element, and it's essential, like that's his righteousness. But it's the key, the holiness, that brings out the full potential of the other. So in verse 25, he says, O righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you. So let's dip into this word righteous, because it has to do with glory. Righteous is the standard of doing right in relationships. God, you have lived up to the standards promised in all your relationships. Father, you do all the right things for all the right reasons. By the way, righteousness is a relationship word. Why is this prayer so important that we listen into it? Because relationships matter to the living God. But in verse 11, he does say, Holy Father. Holy is not doing wrong. It's being free from sin. You've never sinned. You're stainless. It's why these children are giving the symbol of we wash away the dirt. You don't get into the presence of the living God if you are not holy, if you are not righteous. And remember the role of the priest. What do they call this? The high priestly prayer? The role of the priest was to assist sinners in taking advantage of the atonement. They would pronounce, the priest would pronounce forgiveness and cleansing. So Jesus is saying, we're going to combine holiness and righteousness and see your glory. We, Father, have saved sinners. This is sometimes glory can be very abstract. Let's talk about Lady Gaga. Many of you know this story, the Lady Gaga saga. Remember, she was out. Well, she wasn't out because she's pretty, she's got a lot of money. Her dog walker was out walking her little bulldogs one day. And a guy, as you guys heard on the news, came up and shot the dude. And when they went and took a look, two of those bulldogs had been taken, Koji and Gustav. And here's what's crazy. They were taken by a lady named Jennifer. Jennifer was an accomplice. Well, Lady Gaga said this, I will give anybody $500,000. No questions asked if you give me back my bulldogs. Well, Jennifer went ahead and brought the bulldogs and said, no questions asked. But of course, they said, wait a minute, you're an accomplice. We've got you on video. You're going to jail. What does this have to do with holiness and righteousness? The gospel is this radical. What if Lady Gaga walked over, no questions asked, and said to Jennifer, 
you can have the $500,000. Righteousness. You're not going to go to jail. You will be seen by all as holy. This crazy. There is no, Lady Gaga's not going to... No, questions were asked, and the lady's a criminal. We don't understand when he's saying, Father, reveal this amazing gospel that the unrighteous criminal... Father, help them see that I'll do the time even though they did the crime. Oh, it's going to take the Holy Spirit to make us believe this. In verse 4, it says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Where did Jesus pray? I love something I've been learning from Jonathan. Um, Jonathan says, when we look at Scripture, look at the context. Stories make sense when you know where they happen. Look at verse 1. Jesus spoke the words, the ones that Daryl brought up last week about, cheer up, I've overcome the world. But it says he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. Oh, that's a very important place. Y'all know that all of those Passover sheep, those lambs that were getting slaughtered so that the unholy could be with God and you would be considered righteous because of the life of another. We have records from the Mishnah that say that the blood from thousands of those lambs would drain out of the temple into the brook Kidron. He is crossing an area that every single year would have been running with blood. And he's saying the glory of what we've done to bring redemption. Think of this image of a slaughtered lamb. Jesus is saying, this is the essence. I will reckon the unrighteous righteous. And he asks urgently in verse 5, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So we're going to move from this amazing redemption and go back to the time before time. This is amazing. Some people don't believe that Jesus was God. This is proof. With the glory I had, with is the word para. It means, God, I was alongside of and equal to you. The Son of God is sent from the side of God. Theologically, we say he's co-eternal, he's co-existent. Jesus is not a teacher who shows up to tell us about the great beyond. He is from the great beyond. With the glory I had... Now, when he comes to earth, he's not subtracting his godness. He's adding our humanity. He will reassume that glory with his ascension. The Son of God is sent from the side of God and now is sitting again as God by the side of God. Glory. Okay, Jesus asks for glory. Secondly, he moves to his learners. And he says to his learners over 16 times this word, give. He asks for his given ones. God is a God of giving. In verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you've given me. They're yours. We all know John 3.16, don't we? Jesus 
is the love gift to you. We, isn't that great? For God so loved the world that he gave you Jesus. But the disciples learned that day as they're listening in that they are the love gift of the Father to the Son. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? What specifically, though, does he ask for his given disciples? Three things. And this is important that you, you know what these are. He says, I want you to keep them. I want you to unify them. And I want you to sanctify them. So he's super happy that he's been given these wonderful gifts. But let's talk about each area. Father, verse 17, verse 11, uh, keep them in your name. Keep them. Keep means watch over them carefully. It's a tender word. Imagine a person who's got a fish. And they say, would you, I'm, I'm going on a vacation, would you, would you keep my fish? You're like, no problem, I, I keep your fish, what do I got to do? Just don't overfeed, it's my little fishy. Most of you would probably be willing to keep a fish, but if I upped the ante and said, I want you to actually take care of my baby, that's a whole different deal now, isn't it? One of my daughters was interacting with us and like, it's funny to, when you take the children, like they're giving us all these directions, like we've never raised kids. But there's some, when you keep my baby, and I know all of us have a little dog. I mean, if some of the, will you keep my dog? Something happens to us when we have to take care of somebody else's. Listen to Jesus. Father, maker of all creator of the star fields with me, I need you to watch over Peter and John. I need you to watch over them. It's not going to be a fish. These are, my, these are the ones I've learned with. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I love how Clemmy, I don't know if you've ever heard of Clemmy, Clemmy Churchill, the wife of Winston, she would sign her letters, watchful. Let me read a letter that she wrote to her husband one day. Y'all know who Winston Churchill is, by the way. Google him later if you don't. She writes him a letter and she says, once again, we're developing. I got to keep an eye on you, Winston. My darling, she wrote this in 1940. I hope you'll forgive me if I tell you something that I feel you ought to know. One of the men... One of your devoted friends told me that there's a danger of you being disliked by your colleagues because you're getting rough and sarcastic and you're very overbearing. I was astonished and upset because in all these years, I've been accustomed to all those who worked with you and under you and they've loved you. And I said to myself, knowing you, it must be the strain. But my darling Winston, I must confess that I've noticed a deterioration in your manner. You're not so kind as you used to be. It's for you to give orders, and if they're bungled, you can sack anyone and everyone. Therefore, with you, have a, you have a terrific power, but you have to combine kindness. If possible, calm. Besides, you're not going to get any results by being rude. Please forgive your loving, devoted, and watchful, Clemmy. 
I don't know if you have a spouse like I do who watches me bungle a lot. Jesus is saying to the Father, you got to watch over these learners of mine. Oh, do they bungle it up. Watch over them. You see, Clemmy was for her husband. She understood his strain, but she was very specific about what needed to change. The Holy Spirit, as Daryl announced last week, is so good, he will convict you in areas that need to change. Clemmie was willing to say hurtful things to help and heal her husband. Verse 12, Jesus says, While I was with them, I kept them, same word, in your name, which you've given me. And then he uses a stronger word, I've guarded them, philoso. It means to guard aggressively from a wolf. And in verse 12, he does mention, I didn't do this with the son of destruction. That's Judas. So the scripture would be fulfilled. Now we've already preached through Judas. Judas never believed. Judas was someone who did not believe. It does say, whoever believes on Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the word destruction. Judas decided, I do not believe. It was the predicted plan of God. But in verse 15, Jesus says to his father again, keep them from the evil one. These people that took vows today, do you think Satan's sitting around with the demons happy that we are people gathered and saying, I believe in Jesus Christ? When you hear individuals take a vow of allegiance to Jesus, they are betraying the agenda of Satan. And Jesus has already prayed for them today as he's prayed for you. Keep them from the evil one. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, I said he's going to keep them. That's the long one I want you to get. But he does say unify them. Unify them. Verse 11, that they may be one even as we are one. As we are one, like three persons of God. No, we're not God. Unified in mission. Unified in mission. Verse 18 gives us the proof of this unity. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Keep them on mission together. We say at Aspen Grove, we are a contrast community trying to inspire learners to believe that Christ's beauty and goodness and truth is just amazing. He's saying, keep my learners on mission and sanctify them. That's the contrast. They need to be different. But why? Verse 17, and how? In the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means set them apart with the truth. And those of you that know your grammar, he did not say sanctify them with things that are true. This is very important. Truth is not an adjective. It is a noun. Your word is truth. If God's word was just true, there would be some other standard. What Jesus is saying in his prayer is pretty blunt. God's word will never conform to an external standard of truth. It is truth itself. It is truth himself. God's word is the standard of truth by which every other truth claim is measured And here's what he says. He says it in the prayer. They're going to be hated for this, and you will. 
If we believe God's truth isn't relative, but revealed, you will be reviled. And he prayed for him. Help him to stand strong here. He sends them on a mission into the world. Now, this is where it gets confusing. It's like, wait, Jesus, you said last week, I've overcome the world. Like, what is, you're sending us into the world? We use as Christian shorthand this phrase, and a lot of you know it. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. Because verse 15, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I like this picture of this boat in the water. This helps me to kind of get it. Like, what's Jesus praying for? A boat is supposed to be in the water. Like, we're supposed to be in the world. The water is not supposed to be in the boat. Does this make sense? Let's break it down. There are two dangers Jesus is praying about. We might over-assimilate saying, what can the world do for me? It will abandon any sort of difference and fit in. Or we'll take the boat right out of the water and just stick it on dry land. We will isolate. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Don't blend in, blend out. Now, each of you need to work that out in your context. But he prayed for this. Peter uses a word when he opens up 1 Peter. He says, you are exiles. That's the word you're an alien, but you're alongside of people in your life. So he prays for this. Augustine, the famous writer, said that living in the world, but not being of the world, is kind of like two intertwined vines. They twist in and out of other to the point where you can't even disentangle them. So he's praying for this. Keep them. Unify them on mission. They're not all going to be the same. But they're going to have the same mission to be sent to the unbelieving with what we have done. And thirdly, oh, they got to maintain their difference. They got to be in, but they can't be of. Boat's got to be in the water, but the water can't be in the boat. And let's not lose our way. Lastly, Jesus prays for you. I'm not making this up. I want you to see it in verse 20. I don't ask for these only. Those are his disciples. I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. John wrote this story. Daryl and I began a church to gather learners to believe. And it's like, let's go through the story of John. The book of John was written so that people would believe and experience eternal life. What does he ask for for you, those that would believe in the future? Guess what? No surprise. Same thing that he asked for his disciples. Verse 21, I want them to all be one. Not the same. I'm not like Travis. And I'm not, you know, I don't have a Filipino accent. He's not asking us to be all a bunch of the same types of people. But we need to be the same with our mission. The same with our mission. If you are not on mission with your wife, or I remember in the Air Force going to boot camp, I didn't know any of these people. But by the end of boot camp, man, we were like this. Because we had the same mission to protect our country. 
1721, oh, that they may all be one. And then he ups it. Listen to the urgency in 23. They may become perfectly one. Why? So the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Unity. One of the reasons I know that some of you become uncomfortable with baptizing a child and some of you love it, one of the things it tests us, do we have the same mission? Do we believe that Jesus Christ forgives sin through his death on the cross? And do we want that to go to another? It's so important. It's an answer to his prayer. And lastly, he says in verse 24, okay, here's, here's kind of my end all. I hope that people that will believe in the future, verse 24, will see my glory. See is a very powerful word. It's like looking at the ocean and someone's like, are you going in? No, I'm not going in. I'm going in. See means to immerse yourself in the experience with sustained attention. Father, I'm going to show up. I look like a carpenter. I look like a teacher. I look like a guru. Help those that believe in me to truly see my glory. So here's the question for all of us today. First of all, will you begin to pattern your prayers like Jesus? Pray for yourself. Talk to the Father. My son Chris came over yesterday. We just chatted. It was so good. Do you do that? Talk to the Father about us. Are we going to pray for Jerry and for Luz and this young family like we said we would? Are we going to be disciples of Jesus Christ and how we pray for others? Have you prayed for Emily lately? She's a single mother with two kids. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's the Holy Spirit's role. But we got a single mother with two kids. When's the last time you said, Father, she's going to need some help? Are you praying? Is there anybody you know that's an unbeliever that your heart breaks over right now? God, Father, I pray for those that are going to believe five years from now and they're going to show up to Aspen Grove because I asked you urgently. You bringing any of your friends to the Lord and saying, please bring them to you. I'm going to conclude with a short story. Remember, this is Jesus asks. This is good news. Jesus asks. Maybe you heard the story of Mark Ashton Smith. The Isle of Wight's a large island off of the coast of England. I was going to ask Mary if you've ever heard of the Isle of Wight. She's saying yes. See, we're all so different. I never heard of this until I heard the story. This guy gets into a kayak, and he's going to go around this big island, and he's got his food and his foghorn. But he's out there, and as he's taking the trip, the waves get bad. The storm comes in, and his kayak capsizes. What does he do? He, no, he gets his cell phone, which was in a little baggie, and he calls his father, who is 4,000 miles away. His father calls the Coast Guard. He was saved by a helicopter within 15 minutes. He was asked, why didn't you call the Coast Guard? He's like, listen, I used the foghorn. I used action for 40 minutes, and nobody was listening. But I knew if I called my dad, he would know the position I was in and he would get help. And I'm saved.
because I called my father. Let's talk to the father right now. Father, we're a new church plant. The evil one would just love to snatch us up like a little teeny plant and have no existence. But your son, Father, already asked for help for us. Keep the evil one far from us. The evil one destabilizes. The evil one lies. It makes our stories sound crazy to us. You prayed that we would be kept away from that evil one like a wolf. Lord, because of that, I ask for us as a family to get unified and on mission about what you and your son came to do. Keep our eyes on that mission. Keep us unified. As Amy said, even the children learn that when we're together, we can take a lot. We will need the help of your spirit. Send him. Help us to be a church that is found looking into the heavens when people think we're crazy, but we're looking into the dimension where your will is done on earth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.